All right, well, we are in a series that we are calling The Blueprint, and it is basically a series talking about what is discipleship, or how do we encourage people to be disciples. To, to be a disciple is to be someone that follows something. You can be a disciple of many things. Uh, in the concept of Christianity, we're wanting to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we've been going through this for a handful of weeks now. Uh, we talked about why we need a plan in the first place, because uh, people like me aren't a big fan of plans, but sometimes you need, you need a plan, guys. You need a plan for, for, for that, that, uh, that crib to stay together the way that it's supposed to, for the, the faucet to run water the way that it should. For, there, sometimes we need a plan. In uh, our relationship with God, sometimes we just need something saying, these are the first steps to take. Try these things. And we said the first thing was actually to not do anything at all, was to rest, was to go, okay, I'm going to take a step back from this desire to control or to, to immediately be something better, and I'm just going to rest in God. I'm going to come to Jesus. He said, come to me all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. And then week two, or uh, well, week page two, week three of the series, Pastor Chris talked about living at the table in community, putting all of ourselves on this table with God and saying, okay, I'm going to be a part of this thing that he is creating. And then last week we learned about abiding in prayer. And last week I explained that, that prayer comes before reading the scriptures in this plan because prayer is something that is always present. It's, it's always available, and we learned three prayer practices there at the end, one which was uh, turning your palms down, letting go of things, turning our hands up, receiving something from the Lord, and then we did a breathing prayer where we think one thing in and we pray something out, and then we ended that time with something called Lectio Divina, which means divine reading, which creates a great bridge into this week for reading the scriptures. But the more and more I thought about it, I think that the word read is misleading. Show of hands, who listens to audiobooks? Yeah, yeah, easily half of us listen to audiobooks. And um, when you're done with an audiobook, how do you describe that? Right? So, do you say, I finished a book? You say, I listened to a book, or do you say, I read an audiobook? I have a confession to make. Up until very recently, I was an audiobook snob. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't listen to them uh, just because I'm the kind of guy I, I, I want to see, I want to read, I, I want to um, ingest it. That way, but if you had told me that you'd read, actually, this happened between me and Jen a couple months ago. If you had told me that you had read, I, oh, I just I just finished reading an audiobook, I would have, and I did say, I mean, you didn't read it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I would say at that time, I would have said, I mean, you didn't read it. You mean you listened to it? I said maybe a better way, because this is me. I always have to be right. It was like maybe a better way of saying it is that you finished an audiobook. Maybe that's the better way to say it, because in my brain, I know that the literal definition of read is to look at and comprehend the meaning of written or printed matter. That is the definition. So if someone said, oh, I've, I read an audiobook, I, I would well, you, you didn't look at the words with your eyes. You, you listened 
to it. So you didn't really read it, you, 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 you finished it. But here's the thing, like what, what do you say to blind people? What, you want to finish the sermon for me? Come on up, man. <laughs> if you use your fingers to feel the braille on a page, you didn't look at printed matter, and so then you, what do you say to them? Did, did they read it? What if you can see just fine, but you have an intellectual disability of some kind? You have an inability to look at text and comprehend it fully. You know, some of, some of us in this room, maybe we grew up with undiagnosed dyslexia and didn't understand why we, we couldn't read as easily as somebody else. Unless we think that all of what I'm talking about here is a small percentage of people, then what happens if you're a part of the 21% of adults in America right now that are illiterate? It's true. As of 2022, this year, one out of every five adults in America are illiterate and cannot read. And of the people that are literate, 54% of those, more than two out of every four people that can read, they only read at or below a sixth grade reading level. This makes my snobbery about reading problematic. And at the risk of sounding controversial, it makes reading the Bible even more problematic. Any guesses what version of the Bible is the most popular and most often read version of the Bible in America? King James. It's the King James version of the Bible. And depending on which survey you believe, somewhere between 33 and 55% of people that read the Bible say that they read the King James Version of the Bible as their primary text. The King James Bible is the Bible. But the King James Bible was published in the year, anyone? 1611. Again, you want to finish this sermon? Come on, man. 1611. It was published in 1611, 411 years ago, and it has a 12th grade reading level. What that means is that, that in order to understand a text that you're reading, it gives you the grade level of which you can easily comprehend this, okay? The second most popular at 19% is the NIV. It was originally published in 1978, and it has a 7th or 8th grade reading level. And the third most popular at 7% is the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, and that has an 11th grade reading level. Only 2% said that they read the NLT, which is the New Living Translation, and that actually has a 6th grade reading level. Altogether, the top three versions account for as much as 81% of Bible readers reading outside the grade level that the majority of Americans can easily comprehend. It's problematic when the Bibles that most people are reading, most people have difficulty understanding. That's without even getting into the theology of what they're reading. It's just the sentence structure that makes it difficult to understand the scriptures. America needs to improve its literacy rates. Yeah. And, and we need to improve our grade level comprehension. Yes. 
but also maybe the most popular forms of the Bible should be the ones that most people can understand. This is part of the reason that I use the NIV when I preach most often. It's usually what I'm reading from because it's right there on the cusp of what most people can understand, but it's not so simplified that someone that thinks or reads at a different grade level would feel like, uh, yeah, this is too freely for me. Believe me, I, I, if you're a Bible nerd, you've heard that, oh, that's too freely for me. That they, people have said the NLT or the NIV, oh, that might as well be a paraphrase. In our discipleship, we would be wise to remember that reading for comprehension is not as common as we might assume. It's not. And this, again, is why it continues to be important for us to understand just how recent of a phenomenon it is to have the Bible available to us individually the way that we always have it available. For a thousand years leading up to Jesus and his ministry, and for 1,600 plus years after that, to have heard the scriptures was as good and equivalent as having read the scriptures. Because it was the only way you could have ingested the scriptures. In the first century synagogue, in the early Christian church, you didn't bring your own scroll because you didn't have one. <laughs> there was no moment where Paul in, in the local church of Ephesus said, okay, now if you'd like to get out your Bibles and turn to, that wasn't a thing. You heard the scriptures read aloud and hearing the scriptures counted. When Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ, Paul is elevating the power of hearing the word about Jesus, whether a word of evangelism or it was a church reading one of his letters about Jesus out loud, because culturally speaking, he knew they didn't have copies of their own. When Paul writes to Timothy and says in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, this is one of the most popular verses about Scripture. He says, there's nothing like, well, I'm going to read from the message, but he says, there's nothing like the written Word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another. When he said that, he said it knowing full well that no one in Timothy's local congregation had their own copy of this scroll. What he's saying to Timothy is when you read this out loud, when you teach from this letter, when you teach from these scriptures, when they hear this, they will see the way to salvation through Jesus and things will change. It is beneficial for all of these things. When you teach it, they hear it, and God is involved. He's even clearer about this subject in the first letter that he wrote, Timothy. First Timothy 4.13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself... Timothy saying, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Because to have heard was to have read. To have heard was to have received. Jesus, in John 15, right, right there in that segment that I've been saying that a lot of all of these ideas come from John 13 to John 17. He says, when you obey my commandments... You remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. 
Well, the next question we ask is, what commandments exactly? Because uh, those of us that went to like Christian colleges, I can pretty, I'm, I'm just off the cuff now, okay? So forgive me if this goes off in a, in a tangent. But if you went to a Christian college, almost surely at some point someone came and did a skit or a play describing like how maybe one of the disciples was standing there writing everything down. That didn't happen. <laughs> None of the disciples were standing around writing everything down. Everything got written down much later. And so when Jesus says, obey my commands, they're going, what has he said? <laughs> what did he say yesterday? What was that command? Oh, and then if you keep reading, oh, he says, oh, and my commandment is that you should love each other. No one sat there and like, they didn't have a scroll. They didn't have a piece of parchment that they wrote it down on. They heard it and they decided to internalize it because the disciples didn't have little pocket versions of the New Testament in their genes. <laughs> Actually, if you read the, the book of Luke, when you get... So in John, this is just before he's handed over uh, to be killed. In Luke, after he's resurrected, it says that he's meeting with the disciples again. And in Luke 24, verse 45, it says this, And then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Again, these were not scriptures that they had on scrolls right in front of them. They were the scriptures that he had taught them, the ones that they had learned as children, the ones they had heard read out loud when they would go to synagogue. So back to the beginning. If you listen to an audio book, did you read it? I've changed my mind. <laughs> I say yes. You read it. Hmm. I was, I was so convicted about this as I was preparing this message that actually I want to change something about the blueprint of, of, of how it was designed. For the first seven plus years, this part of the blueprint, this day, or this concept was called Obey the Word. And before we decided to do this series again, I, I had wanted this week to, be more obviously, to more obviously reflect what I actually mean by that. And so I changed it to Read the Scriptures. Because I was like, that's more obviously what we mean by that. Let's pray and let's read the scriptures. Next week we talk about listening to the Spirit. And as I got into thinking about read, 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 and, and had all of these thoughts and these concepts, and as I was studying the scriptures about reading, just the words read just don't show up in the Bible. So I felt like this is still missing the point. So with the time that we have left, I want us to actually consider how we can Meditate on the scriptures. Today's page of the blueprint is to meditate on the scriptures. If you have a physical copy of the Bible or a digital copy and you'd like to open that with me, you are welcome to do that, or you can simply listen and hear as I read, because I'm going to read from three different places. Read one from Psalm 1, from Psalm 19, and Joshua 1. Psalm 1, Psalm 119, and Joshua one, we have a tradition around here. The, the point of it is to give our full attention to the scriptures as they're being re read. So you can do that in a number of ways. You can uh, sit or you can stand with me in body or spirit as we read the scriptures, okay? So I'm going to read Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, 
How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But he delights, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and, it, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Joshua 1, 8, this is just after the life of Moses has ended and Joshua has been asked now to lead all of the Israelites. And this is what the Lord is saying to Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Let us pray. God of every tribe, every tongue, every color, and every nation, every everyone, I pray that the words that we read today would be meaningful, that we would meditate upon them, whatever you have for us to internalize. Pray that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become stronger, that we would become more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Can you have a seat? All right. Um, <laughs> if you do a survey of the entire Bible, if you were to read it, from beginning to end, and if you are looking for a unified description of what to do with the Scriptures, sometimes you will see mention of reading, sometimes you will see mention of it being read aloud to assemblies of God's people, but almost always it seems the overall mandate, the request to us, the believer, from the Scriptures, about the Scriptures, isn't only to read on our own or hear them when we're at church, but it is to meditate on them. It is to meditate on the scriptures day and night. What do you think he's trying to get across here by saying day and night? All the time. The scriptures are something that we are meant to be meditating all the time. And this is important because to read and to meditate on are two different things. You know how many books are on my shelves in there that I have read that I don't remember much of what was in them? There's a difference between reading something and meditating on it. Earlier I gave you the dictionary definition of reading. Reading gets boiled down to seeing and comprehending, to consuming, to finishing, but to meditate. Meditation is the rumination of whatever we've received. The word meditate in the Hebrew can be translated in a, in a few ways, but the most captivating translation to me, along with meditate, is to muse. The word meditate means to muse, to be absorbed in thought. Meditation on the scriptures, some people think of what meditation becomes modern day. Meditation on the scriptures is not the emptying of our minds. Meditation on the scriptures is the musing of our minds on God's 
story. It is our minds being absorbed in thought about what scriptures are saying. And so, just like last week, um, I said, you know, I don't know that I actually have to convince everybody uh, to, that praying is important. I don't know that I have to convince everyone here that, that reading the scriptures and meditating on them is important. Um, and so what I actually want, I want us to walk away with tools on how to meditate on scripture, how to think about scripture, tools that will help you work through a blueprint of forming your faith. And so with the time that we have left, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a 10-verse passage three different times from three different versions, and each time we're going to muse or meditate or think on or examine in three different ways with three different mindsets, okay? The first time, uh, as I read the passage, uh, we are going to meditate on the scriptures, think on, let our mind be absorbed with thought, ready? Like you were a detective, okay? So as I read it, these are the things that we can do as a detective to be absorbed with thought. Imagine the scene. As I read this, imagine the scene. If you were a detective, what facts do you observe about it? If you, have, uh, if you happen to have a pen, uh, you can write the things down that you notice. You could type into a note or phone, this is what I noticed. This is what I observed. What questions would you have? Think of the old dragnet, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. <laughs> what do you notice? What questions would you want to ask about what is happening? Who's there? Who's there? Who's present? If you are a detective, you want to make sure you know who, who all of the people are that were present because you're probably going to have to ask all of them questions to get the deeper, most accurate understanding of what it is that happened then and there. What questions would you ask them? Would they be honest with you? Hmm. Ask the question, what is happening and why? Why is this happening? And then as the details come together, if you were Sherlock Holmes, what deductions would you come to? What solution or problem solving does this provide for you in your life? Okay, here we go. I'm going to read this passage aloud. Think like a detective. Then after I read it, I'll remind you a couple things, and uh, you can keep thinking about it for a few more moments. This is from the NIV, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Maybe you just, you're in a film noir. You, you see the, the glass door of the detective and you, you're there. Ah, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Sorry. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek to save the lost. Now think, imagine the scene. What are you observing about it? This one has multiple locations. Where did they start? Where did they go? Why does that matter? Why were people upset that Jesus went there with this person at this time? Who are the people that are upset? Why does it matter at all? Think about the things that happened. Go back over in your mind the order of things that you remember. Where did it start? What town were they in? What was the name of the guy? What was his profession? Is his profession connected to the story? Is that part of what matters? Was Jesus there to catch a crook? Why was he there? What deductions can you start to come to about why this is important? Why it matters to your life that it is in the Bible? Why does it matter? Okay, pin that one up and move on. This time, I want you to think about this passage like you are an apprentice of Jesus, like you're one of his disciples, but not not just, I don't want to use the word disciple because I don't want us to get stuck in what we think that means. Think about an apprentice, someone that is taking on a job. The point is that they are going to become what they are taking on a job for. Now, if you're the apprentice, if you were there and this was your first day on the job, following Jesus around, what would you be feeling and thinking as this first day apprentice? You, you answered an ad on Facebook Marketplace or Indeed.com. Jesus said, you've got the apprenticeship. Meet me on the edge of Jericho tomorrow. We're going to be passing through there. You can meet me there. Okay, it's your first day. And as we read this again, what do you think? What do you feel? What would you think Jesus is wanting you to learn by following him through this town and doing what he's doing? What seems important to Jesus? What is he simultaneously, because he knows you're the apprentice, what is he simultaneously teaching someone else, but also teaching you? Because he knows your job is to watch and learn what, could, what does he do that you could be doing? How do you see him meeting needs? What does Jesus do when someone asks a question? How does he respond? And then, if you came to work the next day and Jesus stayed home, what is the most important thing 
in this passage that Jesus is showing you and wants you to practice. So I'll read now from a version that's called the Living Bible. As Jesus was passing through Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus, one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business, and of course a very rich man, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree beside the road to watch from there. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, for I am going to be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, Sir, from now on I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I find I have overcharged anyone on their taxes, I will penalize myself by giving him back four times as much. And Jesus told him, This shows that salvation has come to this home today. This man was one of the lost sons of Abraham, and I, the Messiah, have come to search for to save such souls as his. It's your first day on the job. You've known Jesus in person for 17 minutes. He's already causing trouble. The, the, the crowd is already upset with him that he went to the wrong house. She's, are we allowed to go here? Is this where I'm supposed to go? What if you're... As the apprentice, what if your heart isn't yet ready to walk into the tax collector's house? What are you seeing? What are you feeling as an apprentice of Jesus? This, your first day following him around, what is it that he wants you to be seeing so that you can do? What needs do you see him meeting? Who is he most concerned with? In other words, like who's his clientele? Who's he trying to? to put first in this story. And if the next morning he said, all right, you go do it on your own today. What does that mean? What is he asking you to go do? All right, so we've been a detective and we've been an apprentice. Lastly, Let's meditate on this passage like we're an artist. As I read, meditate and muse. Let your, maybe understand that in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, this is going to blow some of your minds. They did not have a word for brain because they didn't know that that's where everything came from. Their, their word for soul is actually connected to our throats because they just knew Oh, you lose that, you're done. And so when we say, let your mind be absorbed in thought, especially now as we're thinking as an artist, we're not saying just think with your brain. Connect to your emotions. Connect to your gut. What do you feel as an artist? What does this look like as we read it? What kind of painting from what era you feel like this is? If you're well-versed in artists, 
Do you feel like, oh, I'm going to paint something that looks like that artist? Is it classic? Is it watercolors? Should it be digital art? If you were the artist, the first person to ever depict this story, how would you depict it? How large or small should the artwork be? What colors should you use? What characters in the story should be front and center? How would you communicate everything that's happening? Is it a drawing? Is it a painting? Is it a photo? Where would you stand in the room to take the photo so that everyone was given the position in the story that is required? Maybe it's not any of those. Maybe it's a song. What does it sound like? If you had to hum it, what would its melody be? What instruments would you absolutely need in order to tell this story so that you could communicate how it moves you to others? And how do you hope that your piece of art would move the people that experience it? And lastly, what would you name this piece of art? Let's muse and meditate on this as I read this same story from the message. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Just in a moment of silence. You don't need my help. You're the artist. How do you tell this story? And why is it important to tell it that way? Okay, I have one free Krispy Kreme donut for anyone that's willing to share their description of this story. <laughs> anyone want to? Anyone want to share how they would have turned this into a work of art? Come on, take the mic. I knew you were going to end up here eventually. Hey everybody, this is Andy. Everybody say, hey Andy. There you go. Come on so that people online can see you too. 
So for the paint, I had a painting, and of course it's a you know Renaissance painting style All right. because that's you know. Uh, Anyone else have Renaissance come to mind? That's probably the majority of paintings about scriptures are from that era. Yeah. Okay. So in my picture, I see in the center of the picture is the crowd, and they're all looking to the right, and Jesus is on the right. That's how I saw him coming into town, and I see Zacchaeus is in a tree to the left, kind of over the people, and mm. some of the people are looking at Jesus, and some of the people are like looking at Zacchaeus. They have angry looks on their faces, huh. disbelief. They're touching the person next to them, like, you know, and so that's what I see. So I see that the primary telling in the picture is the center of the reactions of the crowd. Mm. And so you see Jesus smiling, you know, he's like glowing warm kind of. You see Zacchaeus, like surprise or excitement, but then the crowd is where the story's told in my picture. Mm. Mm. Different reactions. That's awesome. I had just a flash of, of like some kind of artwork that is the, a family tree. And about how someone like Zacchaeus, someone had erased his name. But then Jesus comes, and every single version, if you read multiple versions of stories, especially if you include uh, paraphrases and more thought for word, thought for thought things, not so like stuck to just word for word, you'll see there's a reason every version has some of the same words. Every version they say it was Zacchaeus, every version say that they were going through Jericho, every version says he was a tax collector, and every version said that I have come to seek and save the lost. This is a son of Abraham. They said it in some way. And so I see this image of someone taking Zacchaeus' name and scribing it back on the family tree. What was what Andy's name? Oh, what would your name of the painting be? <laughs> you know, to be artistic, you don't always have to be good at naming things. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Adam, the first, maybe, yeah. Adam had to name all the animals according to, to Genesis. That's an interesting concept. Anyhow. I hope that we walk away from today going, oh, reading the Bible isn't what I thought it was. That we have it available to us, we can read it almost any time that we actually want to. But let me encourage you that when you have time, when you decide, oh, I'm going to remember that thing that I heard, or I'm going to sit down and read in whatever format that you choose to read, that it's not just about ingesting words. It's not just so that at the end of the day you can click a box and go, look, Jesus, I did that thing I'm supposed to do. But that whatever your personality is, whether you be an artist or detective, an apprentice, or any other number of ways of you, that you think of yourself, come to the scriptures with your whole self. And then not just with your brain, but with your emotions and your personality. Ruminate, muse, meditate on the scriptures day and night. Because they have a way of lighting our path. Mm. That's it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the scriptures. Every version. <laughs> oh, and we pray that you would just help us to, to get into them, to meditate on them, to meditate on the scriptures in a way that has deep meaning, that directs our paths, that keeps
keeps us from the things that push us away from you. And through meditating on your scriptures, we believe that we will become more like your son, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.